God be the glory. It's uh, very gratifying that uh, we're able to fulfill Dr. Falwell's original vision, which is to play at the very highest level. Guys, I want to tell you, you're representing so many people today. You are living out what people started many years ago. You are walking on their shoulders, their foundation. You make up your mind that you leave this field today with absolutely no regrets that you'll remember. That you left it all out there and you come back in here and I gave it all for Liberty University, my teammates, my coaches. We'll do it together, for we can. For we, we can. can do all things. Do all things. Through Christ Jesus. He strengthens us. Strengthens us. Each and every day. Each and every day. And may God. And may God. Play with play. All right, we are one and zero, oh, and uh, feels so good. You're listening to the. The Sea of Red Podcast. My name is Chad Hassan. Uh, Liberty Flames are one and zero after beating Western Kentucky, and uh, yeah, it feels good. We're a huge underdog, and in, in that game, uh, I'll give you a few takeaways from that game as well. Um, just wanted to tell you what we got lined up for you this episode. We have the offensive line coach Sam Gregg. We have uh, John's list. In John's list, we talk about the biggest victories in the FBS era for Liberty in games where they were underdogs. And uh, we talk about the margin of um, the spread there. And then we also have um, Brett Schwecky from um, FIU. Uh, he writes for the Sun Sentinel down there and uh, gave us some really good information from to preview FIU this coming Saturday at Williams Stadium. And finally, we have... Uh, Jared Brooks with the Liberty line who started out two and zero on the season. And, uh, so he gives his picks for this week's game and, uh, we'll keep tabs on his record this year as we go along. Um, but Mr. Brooks has started out on fire. So let's react to, um, the Western Kentucky game. Some things that, um, some just takeaways. First of all, the offensive line played great. I mean, you hear it in the conversation we had with coach Greg later. Um, but they analyze more than just sacks and um, rushing yards and things like that. They look at every play and see how the guy, if he executes or he knows what he's doing. And, uh, man, so I went back and rewatched the game, and just watching those guys on up front really was a fun way to watch the game. I don't know if I can make myself watch that offensive line all game long just because you miss, miss some things um, with the quarterback and the – wide receivers and the running backs, but I am definitely going to take a couple of series where I just focus on that offensive line. It was fun to watch them, especially like the pulling blocks and and some of the run blocking was really fun to watch. And they are just some athletic, huge, strong guys. So really cool to watch that. That was that was takeaway number one. Takeaway number two is the linebacking core. Um you had Butler and Pierre. Honestly, when the game started, I thought they looked undersized out there. I thought, you know, they're going to be able to run all over us. We're not going to be able to tackle. But these guys are fast, and they are sure tacklers out there. They were they were doing the job, and they got it done. And, and uh, yeah, the linebacking core really was the question mark coming into this season, and uh, they answered the bell. And uh, as far as week one goes – linebackers seem to be a strength of this team. Those guys played great. And then um, fan engagement, that's the third takeaway, is all across the board with a sea of red. I'm sure if you talk to the official Liberty channels, um, the fan engagement was 
off the charts in week one with the just social media and, and the excitement and how everybody was kind of ready for this team to play. I know Hugh Freeze had said last week on the podcast that um, that type of buzz on social media is really good for a program. We need fans who are say, hey, I'm, I'm with this team. I support this team. And um, yeah, it was there on it was there on week one for sure. I think a lot of that's spilled over from the Cure Bowl, and then just recruiting's been going well, and we were all excited to see Malik play. But um, yeah, shout out to the fans. What what an amazing performance by you guys, and um, just kind of being involved with this team. It it really does um, bode well for the future of this program. And uh, it, it is an important piece of building a building a winning culture is um, having the fans be involved. And um, lastly, we'll go with the corners. Um, I, 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 you know, going into spring ball, we thought that the corners and the, and the defensive backs were going to be a real strong suit. We had some returners, some some key players, some young guys. We also brought in some JUCO players that were big, fast, physical. Um, and then we brought in, you know, some, some true freshmen. And then we had a couple of guys, a couple of guys leave the program and, uh, and you look out there Saturday and we have a true freshman starting, no doubt in my mind, he'll improve and, uh, we'll get his game in order. Um, but the corners as a whole, uh, went from a very strong, strong point of the team to maybe a question mark. Um, not saying they had a terrible game, just, just wanted to note the difference um, from what we thought we would have to what we are actually dealing with on the field. And uh, Quentin Reese is going to be a great player for Liberty. He he looked, he had flashes, and uh, you can see it's just kind of all coming together for him out there. Um, and, you know, he'll, he'll mature. This is his first college game. He's a true freshman. So, uh, yeah, we don't want to put a lot on him. He, he was serviceable out there, and we're looking forward to what he brings to this squad uh, going forward. So that was kind of some takeaways from Western Kentucky. Um, I think the, uh, the podcast has, um, coach Greg coming up next, then John's list, then the preview of FIU game, um, with Brett and then finally the Liberty Liberty line. So, um, go flames and, uh, thank you guys for listening so much. We really appreciate it. We will, uh, continue to, try to have a weekly episode for the most part. And um, yeah, we, we've really enjoyed the the feedback and the engagement that this podcast has allowed us to have with fans. And uh, it makes, it makes my experience as a fan much, much more enjoyable. And uh, I really, really enjoy this. So go Flames. All right, guys, it is uh my pleasure to be joined by offensive line coach, Coach Sam Gregg. Um, coach, how are you doing? And uh, did you just, just get off the practice field this morning? Yeah, we just got done. We got done about 11 o'clock. So, just got in here. Uh, so, I'll be I'll be transparent. I, I don't watch the O-line much. Um, and, and until Western Kentucky last week, after the first time watching the game, I just thought it was such an impressive performance. Uh, a lot of the Twitter was talking about how great the O-line played. So basically, I went back and rewatched the game and, and really paid a lot of attention to the offensive line. Man, it was a lot of fun to watch the game that way. And um, I guess my question is, how does, the, 
how has the O-line go unnoticed so easily by fans? I mean, is it just a position that's just the dirty work, or why, why does it go unnoticed, do you think? Well, the only time it really goes noticed is if the quarterback gets sacked or something bad happens, you know. So, uh, hopefully we don't get noticed too much this year uh, until after the fact. But, you know, most people just watch the quarterback, the running back, they follow the ball. You know, they're not really that interested in how the ball gets there, just that it gets there, you know. Yeah, yeah, that, that's kind of kind of where I fell in until I started watching. So, um, how do you grade an offensive lineman after the game? I mean, how can fans grade an offensive lineman while we're watching the game? Like, what are some of the stats you use? Do you use like number of pass protection dropbacks for? I mean, how, how do you grade it other than easy ones like rushing yards and and sacks? What stats do you use to grade out a guy at the end of a game? Well, we don't we don't really use stats. We don't, you know, because uh, we could really do bad and have good stats, and we could really do good and not have great stats. So, uh, you know, stats is uh, I don't know. Stats are, as my dad would say, stats are for losers. You know, so uh, we grade how they play. You know, do we know what to do, and how well do we execute what we know? So that's what we grade. They get two grades for every play they play. Uh, did they know what to do and did they execute that correctly? So very interesting. So it's more of a more of a just eyeball watching the film. Did you do what you were supposed to do and did you know what you were supposed to do? So there's no real right. no real stat. So that, we also we also track knockdowns. How many times did we knock somebody to the ground? How many times did we pancake somebody? How many times did we get help on pass protection with another man? You know, those are the types of things that are fun for my guys uh, to chart. You know, my guys want to have good rushing yards and, and not give up any sacks, but that's, you know, they would much rather watch the tape of things where they knock somebody to the ground or, um, you know, hit a D lineman in the ribs and we go for a big pass, stuff like that. Yeah, that's awesome. That is great. So, so we're going from buckshot to Malik. And so now we have this uh, crazy athletic mobile quarterback back there. Does that change the offensive line responsibilities? I guess I'm talking from if you're in pass protect, is there a certain point where you release the guy? I'm really talking out of school here. Help me understand how an offensive lineman would change his responsibilities and what he's supposed to do and executing um, from a mobile quarterback to just a pocket kind of guy? Well, you know, having a pocket uh, quarterback is good for a lot of things, but it, it having somebody by, like Malik makes it a lot easier uh, for us to protect the quarterback because he is mobile and he's hard to tackle. He's hard to get down to the ground and, uh, you know, some things that I was really worried about last year were not as worried about um, from a standpoint of physical matchups and stuff like that because hopefully Malik can get us out of some situations that aren't that great. So just uh, watching the tape myself, uh, watching the game back myself, I really focused on the offensive line, and the two guys that stood out to me were Sargent and Schultz, and I looked looked them both up. They're both seniors. Did they grade out well this week? And uh, and and just being seniors, how have they impacted the program and your time here so far? Well, Tristan's a really good player. Um, he's a good football player. He's got a lot of skills. Um, he can do a lot of things 
for us. Um, you know, he, uh, he, he knows what to do. We, we, he didn't grade the best on execution, but he played really physical. He knocked a lot of people to the ground and he played hard. You know, so he brings a lot of things to the table from that aspect. He plays left tackle. Uh, Tom, on the other hand, maybe doesn't have the same skill set as Tristan, but, man, he does so much for us from a making sure we're on the right page with everything and uh, from a skill set of, of, of leadership. You know, he's the one that kind of runs the show and gets us lined up and makes sure we're playing fast, makes sure everything's going right, gets us on the right call in that standpoint. Having two guys that's play, that have played games um, here, uh, man, that, that's invaluable. That's invaluable uh, experience. Yeah, it looked like you could kind of almost tell that uh, whenever – I'm guessing that a pool block – is is one of Tristan's favorite. You could kind of tell whenever he was uh, almost no. gear, gearing up for it. Whenever the play was called, he was kind of shaking there at the line, like just with anticipation, just because he would right. get a full steam ahead and just plow somebody over. Is that kind of what it is on the offensive line, especially for those tackles? Do they love the pull block? Well, yeah. I mean, anytime your number's called for a pull, we do a lot of pulling plays anyway. Anytime your number's called, I think they really enjoy it. So, uh, it's not something you you get to do a whole lot, and I think when their numbers call, they, uh, I mean, they definitely like it. So uh, another guy that stood out was uh, Bodden at left guard, and from my perspective on the depth chart, he kind of come out of nowhere. I, I know you've seen him a lot more than we have, so he seemed to be really good in run blocking. Can you just talk about his skill set and what he brings, and and kind of where he came from, and how he got that start there at left guard? Uh, Jacob did. Jacob Jacob had a little foot injury last year. Uh, it kind of held him back just a hair. Uh, but we've gotten over that. He's he's worked really hard this offseason getting his foot ready, uh, getting into shape. He's also lost probably I don't know thirty pounds, uh, and and's worked really hard in the weight room with Dom and and, and got himself where he's a, you know a pretty good football player and and uh, you know he did a great job Saturday. You know for a young guy. You know, he played really hard and, and gave us some great minutes. Uh, I'm really proud of, you know, where, where he was, where he's come to from when I got here. So uh, he is an extremely hard worker, and I'm really proud uh, that it's showing on the field with all the hard work he's put in. And then last question for you, Coach, is uh, to, to that point, depth really seemed to be a factor, and, and I – it seemed like that there were several series where the whole right side of the line was different. Um, can you answer, is that based upon like a scheme or is that just plug and play next man up or where you try to just get some guys, some breathers? How, how do you decide when's a good time to bring in the whole new right side? I saw Bryce Matthews and a few other guys out there that just kind of seemed to come in and play several series. Can you just talk to us about depth and, and how you go through deciding uh, what series each guy's going to play? Um, well, we've got the guys that are going to start the game. And then, you know, we try to play with tempo or as fast as we can. So we've got to have guys that can play. We feel really good with our depth. Uh, you know, there's some guys I thought we should have got in there more. In this day and age, if you're going to play fast and play hard and try to be physical, it's really hard to play, you know, 86, 87 plays in a game and be able to give everything you've got. Um, so we have to have guys that 
we're comfortable with, and we do. We have guys that are there's. We have guys that are on our second team that I think would start a lot of places. Uh, so we're really excited about what we have, you know, uh, in reserve and coming up uh, for the future. All right, Coach Greg, that is uh, that is all for the questions. But let me just while we're here, let me just let Liberty fans and those of you that watch the game Saturday, if you're not watching that offensive line, take a take a time, take the time, train your eyes. Take a couple of series and just don't watch Malik drop back. Don't watch the handoff. Don't watch the routes. Watch these guys up front. It is a blast. These guys, you can tell they they just love, just like you said, knocking somebody in the ribs when you complete a long pass or even uh, even watching these guys pull block. I mean, I was really impressed with how 68 ran around the corner. He comes full steam ahead. If I was a linebacker, I know I would just be kind of – ducking and getting out of the way so a lot of fun to watch coach you're doing a great job and uh, looking forward to more of it this saturday okay it's time for one of my favorite segments of the podcast it's back for the first time this season is john's list where uh owner creator of a sea of red john manson and i will just come up with a list and give our top five um, in this week's list, we have um, the top five wins in FBS era for Liberty when we were an underdog. So we found all of the games we were underdogs that we won, and then we rated them based upon how big of an underdog we were. So with that being said, John, what is number five on the list? Well, it came from last season, um, 2019, third game of the year against Buffalo. We were six-point underdogs. Uh, and if you remember that, you know, we lost the first two games against Syracuse and Louisiana Lafayette, and uh, offense looked kind of anemic, and, you know, a lot of people were down in the dumps about how the team felt. So going up against Buffalo, who was, you know, a bowl team from the year prior, uh, a lot of people thought Liberty might fall to 0-3 to open up the Freeze era, but that was the first game that Freeze was down on the sidelines after being up in the press box the first two games um, as he dealt with a staff infection in his back, but he was in that kind of pit box type thing that he refers to uh, there for a few weeks, and Buffalo game was the first one, and Liberty really dominated the game, controlled the game from the onset, and and that was the beginning of the team kind of turning a corner and and making a push to ultimately – uh, making a bowl game and beating Georgia Southern in the Cure Bowl. Number four is New Mexico. In 2018, we were a seven-point underdog. We still had Turner Gill, and uh, Joe Daly was the offensive coordinator. I remember we had a long road stretch out there. We played New Mexico week one and then turned around and lost to New Mexico State. It was kind of flip-flop. We were the underdogs by a touchdown in New Mexico, and then um, and then we were favorites at New Mexico State, and we ended up losing the game we were supposed to win and winning the game we weren't supposed to win, which is kind of why we're doing this entire list. But, um, you know, because we just beat WKU and then we have um, we have FIU coming to town where we're a favorite. So we'll talk about that in a minute. Number four, New Mexico, 2018. We were a seven-point underdog and we ended up winning that game. What's number three? Number three is just a couple weeks after that New Mexico game was against Troy at home in 2018. Uh, we were 11 and a half point uh, underdogs at home. And this was a Troy team that, you know, if you recall, Chad, back 
during that week, we did uh, John's list of the top five opponents ever play at Williams Stadium. And I think we had Troy at number one, and then Liberty went out and beat them. And I think we all expected a loss in that game. This was coming off the New Mexico State loss. Uh, we were two and three at that point in time with the win over ODU and the win over New Mexico that you just talked about. But then we had bad losses to Army. Uh, North Texas beat us 47 to seven. Um, and then also the New Mexico State loss. So, you know, I don't know if we felt very confident going into this game against a, probably the best team that we've beaten, um, you know, arguably so. Maybe Western Kentucky, that might turn out different. But but Troy might be the best team we've beaten as an FBS member. I mean, they still went on to win eight or nine games that year. But, you know, under Gill and behind Buckshot, we came out and, and won that game despite being 11.5-point dogs. Okay, so number two on the list just happened a few short days ago. Saturday, we went on the road as a 15-point underdog to Western Kentucky, a very good team, uh, a team that was coming off a loss to Louisville but played pretty good. I really would have thought that um, WKU, I mean, we both predicted that we would lose that game. I really thought that WKU would have played a lot better second-year coach and – uh, they really had things going the right direction. Um, I just, uh, it's hard to tell how good that win is going to be uh, moving forward. Just, it depends. I mean, WKU is supposed to compete for a Conference USA Championship. Will they, or are they just really that bad? Is Pigram really not the answer at quarterback? I- I'm not sure. But as far as underdog, I mean, we were a 15 point underdog and went out and controlled most of that game on both lines of scrimmage. I mean, we only ended up winning by six. But it was a really a dominant performance. Nobody had seen what Malik Willis could do yet. And as a starter, so there was a lot of question marks about what he brought to the table. And honestly, John, I think just looking back um, at that game, one of the bigger factors is Malik's ability to take care of the ball. I mean, he, he got loose with it a couple of times, but we recovered a fumble. But uh, his ability to, to take care of the ball, not throw bad interceptions, and then extend plays and, and run – And somebody said earlier that I really thought was a great point about that game. Malik has one of the better abilities to decide when to run and when not to. He it didn't look like he was taken off too early. It looked like he went through his progressions, and then he ran a lot on design runs. But it didn't look like his first instinct was. He didn't look like he got scared or got quick feet. He he kind of went through his progressions. Nothing was there, and so he took off and made a made a positive play. So. The uh, number two on the list, WKU, Saturday, 15-point underdogs, and the Flames won by six, and what a win it was. John, what tops that on the list? Well, technically, this goes back just prior to us being an official FBS member. 2017, the win at Baylor, we were 34-and-a-half-point dogs going down to Texas against uh, Matt Rule, who's now the head coach at uh, Carolina Carolina Panthers. But – this was the first game we played after making that announcement earlier that year in 2017 that we were going to move up to the FBS uh, ranks as an independent. Um, you know, and Buckshot and AGG kind of had their coming out party, right? As sophomores, they kind of exploded onto the scenes. Buckshot set all sorts of individual records for passing, yards, completions, attempts, um, touchdowns, same thing with AGG. And a lot of the people, I was at that game, a lot of people in the press box were just, you know, amazed by AGG's ability. But, you know, 34 and a half point dogs, I mean, anytime you win a game when you're, 
you know, double digit dog, much less 30 plus points. That's, that's quite, quite, quite a statement. And, and I remember coming home after that game, I was looking at the schedule and I thought Jacksonville state was the only team on the schedule that really had a chance to beat us. And, you know, we should be looking at a 10 and one, 11 and 0 type season. And unfortunately, as things played out, that did not happen, but it was a great feeling to start off, you know, the quote unquote FBS era with a huge win. And that's really probably the first um, game that, you know, we kind of got on the national uh, scene as far as making a statement. You might remember Buckshot was interviewed on Sports Center that week. And it was really the start of, you know, the launching of this FBS era and this program in this era. And and it's gotten off to a great start. And it, a lot of it was thanks to that that win at Baylor. You know, uh, when when you talk to those former players, Buckshot and AGG, and they and they were interviewing them for their senior, um, just recapping their career, and they both said that was their highlight of their career was that Baylor victory. And we just have those images of Buckshot, not to mention um, Ian McCall in his first year at Liberty going back to Baylor and just what sweet revenge that had to be. There's some great pictures in his office of him and on Baylor field wearing the Liberty red and blue. It just had a lot of great storylines and uh, what a fantastic win that was. So John, the, what I was mentioning earlier is the reason we're doing this list. We just came off a huge upset victory against WKU. Seems like Hugh freeze and Turner Gill both love the underdog role. And what we have coming to town this week is a scary FIU team with Butch Davis and uh, we're a six and a half point favorite. And uh, Hugh Freeze tweeted out earlier, calling the line and calling us favorites. He called it rat poison. I think it's kind of great how he gets on Twitter and does that kind of thing. But um, you know, can he get his team motivated to win when we're supposed to win? I know that Turner Gill. A lot of times we'd win games we weren't supposed to, but then we would have a head scratcher here and there on on games that we were supposed to be a double digit favorite and we would lose. So. Um, yeah, that's kind of kind of the thought behind this. What are your thoughts about motivating the team as a favorite as opposed to motivating the team as an underdog? Yeah, that's definitely the big question going into this week. I mean, on paper, you would think Liberty would beat FIU. And not to take anything away against FIU, that they're a good team, athletic team uh, from Miami. You know, they'll have a lot of playmakers on, on their squad. And Butch Davis, you know, he's he's this isn't his first rodeo, right? He's got a lot of experience. Um, and that, but like, like you're talking about, that is one of the big question marks, you know, under Gill, um, like you said, you know, the team would, you know, would surprise and beat a Baylor or Troy or somebody like that, but then they turn around and, and lose to New Mexico state or UMass, or, you know, we could go back through a a number of those losses during his career, you know, but, you know, even back to the FCS days would beat a Montana, but then lose to, you know, Indiana state or, or somebody like that. Um. You know, we really don't know about Freeze so much in that role. I guess this year we'll probably find out, and this week we'll find out how he is as as a favorite and motivating the team coming off a big win. Because if you remember last year, any big wins that we had, it was always, you know, Georgia Southern in the bowl game. I mean, we we haven't played until, you know, we had eight months off or whatever, nine months off after that game. Um, You know, then when we beat, um, you know, a couple other good wins like Buffalo we mentioned on this list. The following week, we played an FCS team. So, you know, we really don't know. We haven't played two quality FBS opponents in back-to-back weeks um, where we won one game and then play another one the following week under freeze. Um, So this Saturday will be the first time we get a chance to see how he is at motivating his teams when they're expected to win and when they're feeling good about themselves. There you have it, John's list. 
And uh, John, looking forward to the game Saturday. Yeah, looking forward to it, Chad. I'll be fortunate to be up in the press box for this one uh, with a thousand of my closest friends and family members. Nice. Go Flames. All right, guys, we have with us Brett Schwecki. Um, Brett is a writer for the Sun Sentinel. Brett, did I get that right? And uh, how are you doing? Oh, yeah, no, definitely you got all that right, and I'm doing great. How's everything going with you today, Chad? Things are good. It's, uh, things are good. We come off a nice victory this year. <laughs> We're 1-0 after beating Western Kentucky, um, a team that beat FIU last year. Uh, I'm not really sure. Um, not really sure they had their full power against us last weekend, but, um, so we got this coming Saturday. FIU is going to get their 2020 campaign started. Um, just what all has led up to this? What are some of the storylines with COVID and, uh, kind of how excited is FIU to finally, finally touch the field on Saturday? No, FIU is definitely excited. It's been a long time for them, uh, to say the least, uh, they've been Dying to hit the field, especially with COVID. They've had to delay the season just a little bit uh, with some of the things, delaying it a couple of weeks, having to uh, cancel a couple of games. So definitely the players are eager to get on the field, but it's going to be a whole new makeup for the FIU Panthers this year. Um, James Morgan, their quarterback from last year, he's now with the New York Jets. Uh, two of their leading rushers from last year are gone. Three of their four leading receivers are gone from last year. So it's a pretty big overhaul for their offense. And defensively, they were pretty. Uh, pretty terrible last year so it's a pretty interesting see way to see how FIU can uh get things going for this year so yeah I was just uh looking at the defensive side and actually they were ranked in the 60s somewhere on total team defense and Liberty was number 80 last year so uh we don't have too much to brag about uh by way of defense I think our defense is much improved but tell me about these twin corners uh I noticed that's kind of unique and um or was one of them highly recruited and just said he needed his brother to come with him? Or are they both kind of the same caliber of player? Um, tell us a little bit about the the twins. No, the Dames brothers have been one of the most interesting storylines going into the season for the defense. Um, Stanley Thomas Oliver, he was the star uh, secondary player for them at corner. He's now with the Carolina Panthers. So now it's the Dames brothers to kind of take over uh, the, the secondary. And to be honest with you, they weren't really heavily recruited coming out of high school. However, both of them ended up with the Panthers, and they're just a very dynamic. I mean, they can you can kind of play them all over the secondary, and they just they're big time playmakers, and that's what's one of the best things about the Dames brothers is they're always looking to make a turnover, whether it's um, through a fumble or an interception, and they're just dynamic. And right now with FIU, their secondary was their strength last year, so hopefully the Dames brothers can kind of continue the strength for the secondary last year. So. Last year, you had a nice win against Miami, and uh, I guess that was Butch Davis's kind of revenge tour. And it's kind of like, can you talk us through a little bit about Butch Davis, his tenure there? Um, how long is FIU going to give him to turn things around? Has he turned things around? Um, what's Butch Davis's kind of tenure been like so far, and, and, and what are they looking for this year to make it a successful season? So Butch Davis um – I guess, in a sense, to the FIU fans, he is the Messiah. In all honesty, it's crazy, but um, FIU's been to more bowl games in recent years than they've had in their entire program history. Um, they've had uh, the most wins in the entire season that they've had in program history. 
Um, they've just, Butch Davis has kind of been a transcendent coach for this program. Um, one of my, uh, one of my friends, Eric Henry, shout out to him on uh, Twitter, Eric C. Henry. Um, me and him talk about it all the time about it takes steps, uh, to walk. It, you can't just run it, it. You have to walk first. And this is what that program was. They, this program, when they were under Ron Turner was horrible. Uh, they couldn't get anything done. They had losing record after losing record. And now FIU, even though they're not competing on a national standpoint, whether it's like UCF or some of the other big programs within the state, FIU is evolving within themselves. So Butch Davis, yeah, I mean, he needs to, he ne he definitely needs to prove some things. I mean, having not been able to go to the conference USA championship is kind of a big deal in my opinion, especially when your crosstown rival FAU continues to go pretty much uh, year after year, a new coach, even after um, Lane Kiffin left. So FIU, it's definitely a big prove it moment for Butch Davis, but the recruiting aspect, I mean, FIU hasn't seen recruiting like this in their program history. So Butch Davis is known for his recruiting. I mean, when he was at Miami, I mean, we can talk about all the amazing players that he was able to, you know, turn out of that program. So I think two or th after this year, because I know it's a little weird with COVID next year, I think is the big year for him after COVID. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of coaches kind of have that this year. You know, it's kind of, uh, just to hear you talk, we're kind of in a similar situation with Hugh Freeze. I mean, he comes to town and, and kind of uh, takes us to our first bowl game. Um, you know, our, a lot of firsts are happening. The team's winning. We had a huge win last week against Western Kentucky. But I would say it's kind of similar. I mean, Hugh Freeze comes in and the recruiting we've seen has been unbelievable. Part of that is because we just now entered the FBS and kids want to play at the highest level. Part of that is we've revamped our entire campus with athletic facilities. I mean, from indoor practice facilities to you name it, to cafeterias all over the place for football players and just the new, actually new football operations center that has all the, you know, the pool tables and the playstations and it's pretty wild in there. So I would say some of that is, but um, yeah, our fans definitely look at Hugh like he has elevated this program and. Uh, last year we were barely bowl eligible. We went to probably one of the worst bowls in um, the FBS, and we won the bowl game. So it was a huge accomplishment. I'm not saying you know I would take that again in a heartbeat. I'm just saying it's kind of like that same type of relevance where we're you know middle of the pack towards the bottom of the G5 and trying to make our way up. So yeah, that's uh it's kind of interesting to hear you talk about Butch Davis that way because these both of these coaches had a lot of success at P5s. And uh, here where they are, find themselves at G5s trying to build build something dynamic. So um, definitely, what what has it been like on the recruiting trail down there? You mentioned recruiting a little bit in Florida. I mean, isn't Florida considered one of the top states in the country for um, high school football talent? And is that kind of where Butch is trying to make his impact? Oh, no, without a doubt. Um, I know I'm, I'm definitely biased when I say this because I've grown up in Florida my entire life. But uh Florida is South Florida in specific is the hotbed for high school talent um, around the board, whether you look at it from FSU, UF, Miami, um, they're always bringing in the big talents. But back in the now, back in the day, they were. But now you got teams like Clemson, Alabama, um, all these amazing, you know, power five programs that are coming in and taking, you know, the the five star, four star talent. But then you have the three star and two star talents that, you know, maybe not get picked up by the big programs, but go to programs, you know like an FIU and they contribute at an unbelievably high level. And it's crazy to see because even like Syracuse, USF, all UCF, I mean, they're really utilizing a lot of the three to two star talent within the state. 
so this, the high school recruiting down here is unbelievable. I mean, if I was Nick Saban, if I was Dabo Sweeney, if they want to continue their success, I would just circle all the recruits down here in South Florida personally. So this sounds like it could be a, a potential. I would love to play FIU. I mean, Liberty's an independent, so we really don't have the the conference affiliation. But it sounds like a great game for us. I mean, we love to recruit Florida, and you guys need a winnable FBS game and, and this game. And I know we're a six-and-a-half-point favorite, so let's move to the game on Saturday. I know you had mentioned the defense a little bit. And uh, talk to us about your quarterback. I know he's first-year starter. He's kind of a dual-threat guy. What can we expect out of him? Did he win the quarterback battle pretty handily? Was it his all along? Or is this something that uh, is this something that you're not really sure what you have in this guy? Well, so Butch Davis, when we last talked to him, um, he did mention how we're not really that all the quarterbacks are kind of get uh, a little bit of rotation the first game, most likely. Um, with Butch, you never know with certain things, but that's what he did mention. Um, you know, redshirt uh, junior Kalen Wiggins, he's definitely um, the dual threat quarterback you were mentioning. He's definitely dynamic, but they did bring in Maryland transfer Max Bortenschlager and. In my opinion, I think he's the favorite to claim the starting reins. I mean, he came after spending a couple of years with the Maryland Terrapins. And Butch Davis, I mean, he's done very well at the graduate transfers when it comes to the quarterback position. James Morgan, he transferred to FIU from Bowling Green. And now he was the fourth round draft pick for the New York Jets. So he's done pretty well when he brings in guys um, from out of the program. So I can definitely see uh, maybe two quarterbacks get some time. Uh, I don't know about the red shirt freshman. Uh, Norton and then also uh, Hayden Carlson, but it's definitely going to be, I think, a bit of a mix in the beginning. You could see Schlager and Wiggins out there. Okay, so uh, tell us who who else we should keep an eye on on the offense. Just when we're watching watching the game, who, who's the big playmaker? Who's the difference maker on the line? Uh, what do you think the scheme will be to get the ball in a certain player's hands? What's what do you think will be the game plan uh, Saturday? Um, just in terms of who on the offensive side of the ball needs to touch the ball uh, the most and who who has the ability to hit that home run? Oh, no, without a doubt. So FIU, I mean, like I mentioned, the quarterback is going to be definitely a question mark going into it. So I can definitely see them relying on their running game. I mean, Butch Davis throughout his tenure at whether it was Miami or whether it was North Carolina or whether it's been FIU, he's always utilized a running back by committee offense. So senior running back Devontae Price, he's had to been behind Napoleon Maxwell and, and Anthony Jones his entire career. So this is kind of his chance now to uh, show and highlight all of his skills because I got to tell you what his throughout his entire career he's shown a lot of flashes in the limited amount of time that he's had and like I said the committee um, Lexington Joseph he is a dynamic young player that I can definitely see come in there and be utilized in the passing game in the running back or whether he just uses you know off, off tackle uh, running running scheme. So yeah, they were. Um... I had seen where both of those running backs from your roster last year went to the NFL or signed NFL deals. So uh, pretty, pretty amazing to put two running backs in the league um, if you're having by committee there by Butch Davis. So um, what about the defensive side? You already mentioned the corners. Uh, anybody that is looking to make the big hit, anybody we're going to see in the bottom of the pile, every tackle, any lineman that is kind of going to be rushing the quarterback, who should we keep an eye on on defense for? No, so the big question mark is if FIU can finally stop the run. That has been just their Achilles heel over the last couple of years with Butch Davis and also rushing the quarterback. So the big guys I would look out for is senior linebacker Jamal Gates. Um, you know, last year he was a he was the second leading tackler on the team. 
He did absolutely amazing for them. So I can definitely see him starting uh, kind of a leadership role on the defensive side. And Kevin Oliver, too, the defensive lineman. You know, this is we've been talking about Kevin for a long time now about how this could potentially be his year. This could potentially be his year. But now this is a senior year. So this is shut up or gun up time for him. So maybe this could be the game where we can kind of see Kevin Oliver highlight all of his skills, like I mentioned. But those are the two guys, in my opinion, in the front seven that you definitely got to look for. All right, and then and then lastly here, we're kind of looking at the season as a whole for FIU. I know it's your first game. We don't really have much to go on, but what are some of the win predictions? What do, what do you have? How many wins do you have them um, getting this year? And and are they going to be bowl eligible with a with a fifty percent? And then uh, yeah, so just kind of a season outlook for FIU Panthers. So I definitely believe FIU will be bowl eligible. Um, now six. And six, I think, is kind of like their midpoint, in my opinion. I definitely see them getting that. But for their ceiling, it really depends on how the quarterback play goes. Because one of the things that made FIU so dynamic last year was James Morgan's playmaking ability. And James Morgan, has amazing as he was last year, FIU was only able to finish with a six and seven record. Granted, FIU, I do think, has improved a little bit on the offensive side in certain aspects with a little bit more playmaking ability. But I think FIU could, with the ceiling, win eight wins this year. Well, we will look forward to the game on Saturday and, uh, you know, we'll be keeping up with you. Tell us where we can follow you on Twitter. Where can we read your uh, pregame and, and, and postgame information? Where can we see all that information at? Definitely. So pregame, I will not be, unfortunately, having a pregame uh, for this game for the Sun Sentinel. But if you do follow me on Twitter at B-S-H-W-E-K-Y 47, uh, you can get all my pregame tweets, all that good stuff. Uh, I tweet during the game. So. No, definitely. All your FIU news, if you want to get some previews on it, definitely come to me about looking for that stuff. All right, Brett. I really appreciate it. Uh, Thanks for all the great information and uh, looking forward to this game on Saturday. This Saturday at 1 p.m., the Flames welcome Butch Davis and the FIU Panthers to Williams Stadium. Flames are coming off a great win at Western Kentucky last week where they were a two-touchdown underdog. No underdog status this week for Liberty, as earlier this week they opened up as a a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Now, depending upon the book, you can find that number as low as five-and-a-half and as high as seven points. For Liberty, we saw flashes of greatness on the offensive end, as Malik Willis looked really comfortable starting his first game. For FIU, it's their first game of the season, and they'll welcome a lot of FBS transfers coming off a bowl game loss last year against Arkansas State. Now, even though they went to a bowl game, the road in itself wasn't very kind of the Panthers as they finished 0 for 6. Our two plays this week are Liberty, depending upon where you can find it. Most shops are at 6.5. We'll take the Flames to cover, giving almost a touchdown. And we'll take the over this week. Last week, we took the under and it hit. This week, we'll take the over. That is anywhere between 58 to 60. Most places we're finding it as it's 59 points, so we'll take Liberty over 59. As six out of the last seven road games for FIU, the over is hit. Weather should be absolutely perfect on Saturday, as it'll be 78 and sunny in Lynchburg. And for the 1,000 people that get to attend the game, make sure you're loud. For this week's Liberty Line, I'm Jared Brooks. 